When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alright, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. Then we have taken the show on the road. <laughs> we are down here in beautiful and scenic Indianapolis, where I'm pretty sure they've made you the honorary mayor at this point <laughs> after our frequent trips down here. NFL Combine Week, Ben. How how you feeling? It's what day is it? It's Friday. It is Friday. It's Friday early morning. <laughs> We've done Hours of interviews at this point. No, it's it's uh, it's it's been been interesting week. We talked to Dan Campbell. We've talked to Brad Holmes. We've talked to all three coordinators, as well as the new assistant head coach Scotty Montgomery. We'll get to that in a bit. And on the back end of the program, then we have a, an interview that I had with a Lions scout, Joe Kelleher. Um, cool. Yeah, assistant director of, of pro scouting. So he's on the pro side, not the college side, but he's down here and, and has, a, I mean, years worth of experience at the combine. And so we'll get some insights into a scout's perspective on, you know, how the combine has evolved over the years, what remains useful about it, what's not, you know, the drills are, I think are obviously less important than ever, but I asked Joe, what remains useful in terms of the the drills? I asked him how, you know, with players getting more polished than ever before when it comes to the interviews, what are the Lions' strategies for cutting through that polish? Because they've obviously done a very good job of finding the right guys the past couple of years. And I also asked him, he's been around since 2011, Ben, so I was really intrigued to ask him about all the different regimes he's been through in Detroit and what's different now about the evaluation process because it's clearly working. So very good conversation. He had a lot to say. And I'm very thankful that Joe took the time because it's obviously a busy week for those guys. So it's a loaded podcast this week from from the combine bend here as you know we get going with, with the outfield drills and proceed with player interviews. Yeah, we're early morning. Last year we were in prime time at about two in the morning. So we're yeah. floating all over the place. But yeah, it's been a loaded, loaded Lions week for sure. I just have been just kind of fascinated by just everything we've heard from coaches. It was great to meet. Scotty Montgomery, who I think is just going to be a hit with fans every time he steps to the podium in yeah. Allen Park. Just I agree with you, Ben. Very, very well composed, confident, smart, easy to talk to guy. I, I really enjoyed his conversation, and I really think you guys are going to dig him the more you get to know him. Pretty polar opposite of Deuce Staley, I'd say. Not saying you wouldn't like Duke, I just well, said personality-wise. He was asked about that directly, and he basically said, just wait. Because, <laughs> you know, we saw Deuce on the field and he's a fiery cat. He could be even fiery at a podium. You know, we talked to Scotty Montgomery on the third floor, like lobby of a JW Marriott <laughs> in Indianapolis. And in, I mean, what month is it? March. It was March. So as Scotty Montgomery said, just wait. You know, I think there's some fire in his belly. I mean, he, he mentioned, you know, once you're on the battlefield, you go to battle. So <laughs> we'll see. But having said that to your point, Ben, I really enjoyed our conversation with him. I actually had the seat right in front of him. We were at some long table and I, I was eye to eye with him right across the table. I just really enjoyed being that close to a guy who is clearly well-respected in the game. The Lions actually interviewed him for their offensive coordinator vacancy last year, which wasn't previously known by us or anyone else. 
So he's been on Dan Campbell's radar for some time. And then when Deuce Daly left this offseason, the Lions had a hole for running backs coach and assistant head coach. And Scotty Montgomery was the perfect fit because he coached running backs in Indianapolis. You know, he, he was there when Jonathan Taylor led the NFL in rushing. He's really well respected in the game, Ben, for his understanding of, of run games, but also brings some leadership flavor. And, and he'll bring that to Detroit in terms of being a the assistant head coach. I actually asked Scotty Montgomery what he was going to bring as the assistant head coach. And maybe we can cut to that audio real quick and just hear a little bit, a little snippet from Scotty Montgomery. You've also got the assistant head coach um, label. I'm, I'm curious what your conversations have been like with Dan, how, how that'll function, what kind of um, relationship you'll have with him. Yeah, the first role is you're like, so from the moment that I met Dan, it was like I met Dan and then I'd known him for 25, 30 years. Right, that's just who he is. And when you know and you see somebody that's that loves the game, it's not hard. The game of football, when you see somebody who loves the game and what the game has done for them, not the things that come along with the game, but what the actual game has done, then you have a little bit of a different respect level for him. So, you know, my, my only job is to try to make sure that what he asks for, I, not only do I deliver it, but I'm very conscious of what I'm delivering and making sure that I double check, triple check, whatever the information that he gets, gives him the best opportunity to make the best opportunity or the best decision for our, our football club. Scotty. And that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, Ben, I, I, I enjoyed that chat. It was a good chat. We talked to, it was a long day at the JW. We also talked to Ben Johnson for the first time since he came back yeah. to Detroit. We talked to Aaron Glenn. We talked to Dave Fipp. We, we, we call him the Fipper Buster sometimes <laughs> in the beat because, you know, it's like traditionally, right? Like special teams coordinators are, you know, they're, they're not as relevant as the other two guys. It's not to say it's not important. Special teams are obviously important, but offense and defense are more important yeah. in, in today's NFL. And yet Fipp is, a, a, he's a real joy to talk to. He gives you an insight into the game that you might not otherwise get. He has so much to tell and we go through these, we're figuring out the transcripts on these and we look down and like, of course, Dave Fipp is five minutes longer than anybody else because I, and this is not making fun of him. I, I, you know, I appreciate the depth he goes to, to give us his answers, but it's like, man, this guy has so much to say. He's an interesting cat, but yeah, it's, it was a, it's been an interesting week here. It's been like heavy lion stuff. It's like, I feel like we're like refreshed on this new staff and just, uh, it was a very, very worthwhile day yesterday, as long as it was. I think from my point of view, Ben, the most worthwhile thing that, that, that anyone said yesterday, and maybe since we got here from the Lions' perspective, was getting a chance to talk to Ben Johnson mm. about his return. And I know that's, not, that's taking nothing away from Aaron Glenn, who also had two head coaching interviews. He interviewed twice for both positions yeah. too, which I think spoke to his improving, you know, posture in the game, the way he's viewed in the game, despite the numbers, the numbers are, they speak for themselves, but there was a lot of improvement along the way. And the rookie class was a big reason for that. And the major development from guys like Aiden Hutchinson, who was runner up for defensive rookie of the year, James Houston, who went from cut and training camp to number two on the rookie sacks list behind only Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, there was some clear, clear successes on that side of the ball and AG got his looks in Arizona and right here in Indianapolis. And I think he's encouraged by getting two callbacks yeah. and interviewing twice for those guys. So taking nothing away from AG, but with the way the NFL game is going, offensive play callers, and in particular, young offensive play callers who bring creativity and new ideas to the game, that's the future. I mean, it's the present, really, mm -hmm. when it comes to head coaching interviews. And so 
Ben Johnson's that. He's, he's 36 years old, just one year as a play caller. I always thought that would work against him, but also the results last year spoke for themselves. And to see what he has done for Jared Goff in particular has been incredible. You know, the, taking over the passing game late in 21 and Goff went from one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL to looking like one of the best. And then last year, Ben Johnson's promoted offensive coordinator and Jared Goff was one of the best quarterbacks in the league by every metric. And then some Goff has said it was the best season of his career. But Ben Johnson, I, I think it's okay to say he saved Jared Goff's career. I mean, with, right, the, the, yeah. the trade, the Stafford trade, I mean, the Rams were giving away Jared Goff like he was a spare part. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were they were begging the Lions to take him in that contract with the load of draft picks they gave in that deal. And now Jared Goff is a pro bowler two years later, <laughs> playing better than Matthew Stafford, by the way. So I don't know, long-winded way of saying Ben Johnson's in demand. I probably didn't have to set that up that way. We all, we, all, we all know he's in demand. Interviewed three places and had a second interview lined up in Charlotte with the, with the Panthers, where reportedly he was the favorite for that job. And then he, of course, as, as everyone knows by now, shut down that interest, all of the interest, and, and told the Lions, I'm not going to interview anymore. I'm, I'm coming back next year. He got a nice little pay raise. He's back for at least 2023. Hopes are high on that side of the ball because of it. Understandable. I really wanted to know, Ben, why? Why Why did you come back? Why did you shut down the interest? You know, there's only 32 of these jobs in the world. They don't come along very often. You never know what's going to happen next year. Maybe Goff loses a leg. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you, I mean, really, though, you just don't know in this game. You really don't. And yeah, you a lot Matthew of Stafford. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a perfect example is Matthew Stafford and what's happened in LA this past year which of course is to Lions benefit. They're sitting number six because of it. And that's a perfect example of what I'm, I'm I, my questions for Ben yeah. Johnson. Okay, you've got this window, you're in demand. You're even a leader for one of these jobs. Maybe it's sooner than you expected, mm -hmm. but in this game, rarely do you see guys voluntarily shutting down that, that interest because you, know, you just don't know what's waiting around the next corner in this game. But Ben Johnson did. And I think that speaks highly of the Lions and the health of the organization, what they have coming back next year. But I, I just wanted to hear from Ben Johnson what his rationale was and how that process was. And we got a chance to ask him that. So let's cut to that audio, Ben, and then I want to hear your thoughts on, on what he had to say. I learned it's hard to shut out the noise when you got Dave Burkett bringing it up every <laughs> no week. Doubt. You know? No, it was, uh, listen, it, it all happened fast. We had the, Sunday night game against Green Bay, we still thought we had a good shot to make the playoffs, and, and ultimately we came up short, and we were we were really disappointed by that. Um, player exits happened, requests started coming in, and so for me, just the timetable was had about 48 hours to, to get thoughts together um, before that first interview, and so it uh, was a really good experience. Dan came in, Brad came in, really all the – Top members of the organization came in and, and voiced support, and however they could, they could help out the process. You know, shed light on, on their experiences, and uh, just help out any way possible. Um, and which I really appreciate. I had no idea what the, what I was getting into at the end of the day, um, but I had two really good experiences. I had Houston. I want to say that Thursday morning, and then the Friday afternoon, the next day, I had uh, Indy and uh, Unique. You know, that's uh, that's probably the first thing I learned. Each each place a little bit different. They have their own situations um, that they're concerned about, but also the the format of the interview was was completely different for both of them as well. 
And then finally, you know, after I got done with the Indy one, had some time over the weekend before the next one was scheduled to, to reconvene and catch my breath a little bit and talk to my wife about it. And, and uh, you know, we, we just came to a pretty good decision. We felt really good about, hey, you know, we're happy where we are. We, we love where we are. Um, love being in Detroit. Love the people here. And just decided that, you know, let's go ahead and put the brakes on it right now. You know, it just wasn't, wasn't the time for us. These are, these are unique, very lucrative um, opportunities. There's like 32 of them mm-hmm. uh, in the world, too. So I guess when you have a second interview uh, with Carolina, and I think you were supposed to get on a plane, at least with the reports that were out there. On a, I think maybe it was that Wednesday. Um, and then that was the day where we saw the reports that you were turning down the opportunity. I guess what, what, what did pull you back? I mean, I know you talked about it with your wife, you just said, but what were some of the, some of the things that were going on in your mind um, that ultimately led you to come back to the truth? No, I mean, th- there's no doubt uh, that these opportunities aren't guaranteed. They don't come right. along very often. There's only 32 of the jobs. And, and, and I, I was honored that I had three requ- requests come out. And, um, you know, like I said, I did some due diligence on it. But I think some people, um, I can just speak on a personal level, some people, they, they really want to climb as fast as they can. I know particularly young coaches want to do that. Um, that's, that's not been the case for me per se. I, I just, I want to be around football. I want to win football game. I want to be around good people. Um, and, and that really, when I finally had a chance to step back and, and take a deep breath and look at it, that was, that was the most important thing. I love Dane Campbell, um, known him for a long time. I believe in the direction of this organization. Um, and so that, that truly was the biggest drawing point for me to come back was what we have here, what we're building here, something that I've, I want to be a part of. I've been a part of a number of losing seasons in my 11 years in the NFL. And to feel us get so close to making the playoffs this year and knowing yeah. the players that we have in, knowing what Brad's been able to do in his short time here, acquiring this this talent you know this personnel it's it's uh it really makes me feel like man we just got to kick that door down you know get our foot in into the dance and all bets are off when that happens so so ben your thoughts on what he had to say i mean clearly he's i I just enjoy talking to him he's clearly a thoughtful man and put a lot of thought into this uh, him and his wife and they deemed it was in their best interest to Returned to Detroit for at least this year. What were your thoughts? What when you were sitting there with Ben? What was what were you thinking about this? How this all played out? I was just I like you, fascinated to hear from him, and I really appreciated the non sped up game week chance to sit down and talk to him. And even if it's like a hundred percent not true what happened in Carolina, we don't know all the details. But like I do believe him when he says he loves Detroit, he wants to win in Detroit, and I mean he laid it out perfectly right there. Like I've been a part of a lot of losing teams. Like we're, I feel like we're close to something. I do understand that as like any human with a competitive edge in their body can kind of understand that you get kicked around for your first decade in the league and you're on the cusp of the playoffs. You've resurrected a former number one overall picks career. You got one of the most innovative offenses with that glorious offensive line and a guy like Panay Sewell in the trenches at like barely legal to drink. I mean, there's a lot of things to come back for. I mean, there really is. I know, like you, I mean, you laid it out perfect. I loved your question. There's 32 of these in the world. They're like some of the most high paying jobs in the world. But like, he sounds very at peace with his decision. He hasn't lost any sleep over it. No regrets, as he said. And I liked what he was explaining. Young coaches sometimes want to rush to the finish line. Mm -hmm. He does seem very content with his choice. Like I said, we don't know all the details behind the scenes, but he does seem 
at peace with his choice. And he's not trying to rush the gun. He realizes that there's a good thing building here. And that if it keeps going in the trajectory that it's going, there's going to be more of these jobs down the line, especially, I mean, it is, we're, we're in the future. It is the present. This is a quarterback driven league. And that's why he was such a sexy candidate on paper for those teams that had disastrous situations at quarterback, like Carolina and Indianapolis, like, holy smokes, look what that guy did with Jared Goff. You remember Jared Goff three years ago? Look at him now. I really appreciated his answers and just really thoughtful, thoughtful answers. And like I said, it was just nice to sit down with him in a non kind of sped up game week environment. Like, I mean, we had 20 plus minutes with the guy. Yeah, we did. Of all the things that he said, the the thing that, that stood out to me the most was definitely when he said a lot of coaches, particularly young coaches, are in such a race to get to the top, yeah. which is true. Mm-hmm. And it's also not necessarily a bad thing. But it can be a bad thing. Like how many, how many coaches have we seen who are wholly unprepared for the challenge of being an NFL head coach? It's just a different monster. And we, we have seen it repeatedly in Detroit. I think Matt Patricia is maybe it's not an apples to apples thing, but like, like he, he obviously knows ball. He might not know offensive ball based on last year, but he, he knows defense. He spent a decade and, you know, I'm not here to defend Matt Patricia. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying he, he, he obviously knows some things about this game to get as far as, as he did. And he does know defensive ball, but like being an NFL head coach is it's wholly different than being a coordinator. You're not, you're no longer into the nitty gritty on the X's and O's on one side of the ball. You're responsible for everything. You answer for everything. All the problems come to you. You have to have a big picture idea for your game plans, for your culture, for your locker room, for your roster. And that's just a totally different job. I don't know. It like. You just see guys who maybe excelled as coordinators who weren't ready for the jump. And it, I guess in a roundabout way, then what I'm saying is that I'm really impressed with Ben Johnson and his patient. Like that, that stood out to me in talking to him. There is a race to the top in, in many regards. There's every season is a race. Like <laughs> every career feels like a race with way injuries pile up these days, particularly at positions like running back. And then you talk to a guy like Ben Johnson and the man exudes confidence in himself, his team, his players. He, he chills, you know, he, he is so patient. The belief he has in himself and this team is evident. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You know, if, if he didn't have that belief that what he had in, in himself is real or that what the lines are building is real, he wouldn't have dashed from three opportunities yeah. to become a head coach. And one of which where he was reportedly the leader for the job and you know, not to be totally cynical, but I think that there is another component of this conversation, right? That mm-hmm. like he might have been calculating that that he wasn't going to get the job, maybe, and that he could he could pull out on his own terms, and that would look good for him and set him up for next year and so forth. I think that there is some truth to to that end of things too. But that's not to take away from what he's saying either, which is he wants to win and he thinks he's there with Detroit, and we can all see it with yeah. the way they finished last last year, the pieces they have. I mean. They have nine of 11 starters coming back from a top five offense, including the entire offensive line. And by the way, there's a bunch of draft picks coming down the pipe. And oh, by the way, Jamison Williams. Yeah, that's (laughs) super fast, crazy, (laughs) awesome wide receiver prospect. Yes. So, you know, it's interesting to see him come back. And I think it really speaks highly of him and what the Lions have. And I think that's pretty obvious. And I think there's a lot to be excited about. And we're down here in India. I mean, they got five of the first 81 picks in this draft too. And I think they'll go hard on the defense, but don't be surprised if they replenish the offense as well, because you got to continue to evolve. And that's also something we talked with Ben Johnson about.
Yeah. And I mean, he's one of the most innovative guys in football. I mean, I think it was you that asked about Panay and is like, <laughs> isolate up about how to use that guy, like just freaking nature. I believe he said the word generational. I mean, it's hard to argue with him. I mean, absolutely. We all expect defense, 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 just like last year, but like you got a mind like Ben Johnson, you got a quarterback like Jared Goff who's playing the way he was at the end of the season. I mean, don't let that offense regress. I mean, obviously we've talked about DJ Chark and what needs to happen at receiver and stuff like that, but like we're all expecting defense, but it's like, if I were Brad Holmes, it would be hard to stop giving that dude toys after seeing what he did last year. So absolutely. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said about Ben Johnson, but like he's like, we've both been saying, we don't know all the details behind the scene, but he does seem enthused and he got a little pace bike for coming back. And I mean, He's not going anywhere. His name's going to be at the top of these markets, I think, for the next couple of years until he gets one, because that is where we're at in the league. And he has proven that he is one of those young, innovative offensive minds. And he's like our age. So he's not rushing to the finish. Fun fact, he was born four days before me. So <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Sitting in a hotel room with you at seven in the morning. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Like I said, I, I, I a little bit disagree with your last point there, just because you, I mean, maybe he'll be back. He never really. Oh, I'm at in the. Oh, yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not doubting him. But like in the NFL, lots of things happen, and you just don't know what's lurking on the corner. They're one quarterback injury away from dire, uh, which is true for most of the teams in the league. They are here to come by looking for a backup. But even with a, a a better backup situation, you're not going any place. Well, Jared Goff, and if there's an injury with Jared Goff, then Ben Johnson's not going to be the hot the hot thing next offseason. That's just how it works. But that's not to take anything away from Ben no. and what he's done. We got to get moving, Ben. And I, I, I want to set up my interview with, with Joe Kelleher, the Lions agent, with this short clip from Dan Campbell when we talked to him at the podium here at the combine the other day. He was talking about player meetings and finding guys who have that it factor. I think that's something that's defined the first two draft classes here in Detroit. I think Amon Ra St. Brown is a, a terrific example of that. And that's also something I get into with Joe Gallagher, the line scout. But, you know, their process for finding guys that have that it factor. I, I, I just want to play this clip real quick from Dan Campbell. I would say this. We've, I don't know how many guys we've met with at this point um, over, you know, really over these two to three days, um, let's call it 30 guys, 35 guys, and I've checkmarked four guys. And to me, they got the it factor. Just when you sit in there and you hear them talk about football, it's, uh, uh, the fire, there's a fire burning in them and they cannot, uh, they can't sit in their seat. They gotta get up to talk. They gotta tell you what's going on. This is how I think, this is what I'm, um, and that, you can't fake that. You know, when you have that, you love ball, and you'll eat and breathe it and do anything for it, do anything for your teammates. Uh, you're uber competitive. You watch the guys that, you know, you present them this this mini install before they get to the tape and taking notes, ask some questions, and then and when you go, they throw the sheet down. Because to them, it's a competition. Like, I'm about to show you how good I can do this. I'm about to show you what I can retain. I'm going to show you that I understand what you're, you're wanting me to do. And, and those guys are rare. You can find those guys and they've got some ability, which most guys here do. Um, it's it's uh, hard not to like them. So yeah, that was, I mean, that was really in the combine, Ben, but uh, I thought it was interesting. Out of like 30 guys they had talked to, four had the DNA of a guy who, who has what they want. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. I saw a headline out there from a, a competitor. I don't even want to like name drop it because I don't want people going to Google it and find it because it's trash. <laughs> and I just don't like the opinion, but like that 
that's a bad thing. There's a column out there saying that they're being too picky and they're going to pass on good players because they're being too picky. Well, you know, this, first of all, they're not saying they're being exclusatory if a guy doesn't have an factor that they're looking for, but that is what they're looking for. And I think it's, it's how they're building. I think it's just weird to praise them for the culture they're building and how it's like got this rebuild supercharged, but at the same time, when it gets to the off season and they're a process of finding guys who fit this culture, you kill them for finding those guys. It's kind of a weird thing, yeah. but I, I do think it speaks to how choosy they are and the, their process of finding guys like this. And I, I find that very interesting because it's obviously a different process than, than what you typically see in the NFL. And I think what got deleted from that column real quick was Dan's like next sentence saying, okay, tell me what his talent is. What's his body type? Like, is he good enough? Like those things matter too. They're not just looking for guys who carry themselves like I'm on route or St. Brown or Panay Sewell. They got to be able to play some ball and like have some talent. So don't get too lost in that. That is a good thing. Being selective, knowing who you are, knowing what you want in those top right. guys. That's a good, good thing. Right. Exactly. And that's a perfect segue into, into the interview. That's why I wanted to play it real quick because I did talk a lot with, with Joe Callaher, longtime Lions scout about the Lions process here and in general for finding guys that fit what they're doing because it's, it's clearly working. It's clearly different with them, what they've done before. And Joe has been around for forever at this point. So let's get to that without further ado, my interview with Lions scout, Joe Kelleher. Okay. We're joined now by Joe Kelleher, yep, long time right. scout for the Lions. Actually been around Allen Park longer than I have, believe it or not. <laughs> Joe, welcome to the program. Joe, you've been with the Lions since 2011, originally joining as a Blesto scout. You've been a regional scout, college scouting director, pro scout. Now you are the assistant director of pro personnel. You've been all over the map when it comes to the scouting world. First of all, thank you for joining us. And I'm just curious what perspective you bring to the combine and maybe how you've seen it evolve over all of your years coming here. Cause you've done it from the agency side, you're with the team now and you've done it from the college point of view. Now you're in the pro point of view. Yeah. So I guess maybe how has all of that over the years? Yeah. Well, first of all, Kyle, appreciate the introduction and yeah, my scouting bingo card is full. Uh, so <laughs> I check off a lot of boxes. So you actually, you know, again, you mentioned experience in the college and the pro side. That's not unique. There's a lot of scouts with all 32 teams that have done both uh, over the course of their careers. But I spent two years working for national football scouting who's the company that, again, on top of kind of their their work with teams to kind of help facilitate scouting information on college players, they also operate the NFL Combine in conjunction with the league office and obviously all of the parties that kind of are responsible for everything around here. So I spent two years doing that. So in an operations role at the Combine behind the scenes, that would have been 2009, 2010, and then my first year with the Lions in 2011. So I have certainly publicity for the event and everything that goes on around it. I mean, media has always been involved. It's the Combine is, you know, just from a big picture standpoint, yes, it's teams coming to, you know, kind of get their first extensive look. We have the All-Star Games leading into the Combine, their first extensive look at, especially all these underclassmen yeah. prospects. And it's not just, you know, the on-field workouts, the interview portions, the medical portion, which is you know, actually the kind of primary purpose of the event. Right. But it's, yeah, it's it's also become this more or less an unofficial convention, right? Yeah. For not right. just teams, you know, like front office personnel, coaches, but agents, media, yeah. you know, football-related vendors. So I think just the magnitude of the event, certainly the, the attention on it, but the core of the event in terms of getting to spend time with the players and formal informal interviews, the workouts, 
again, the medical testing, that's kind of stayed pretty consistent. Uh, over the years, they've shifted the schedule some, but that those core tenants have, have stayed pretty steady. So. I, I want to get back to the combine in a little bit. Yep. Uh, but, but first, I wanted to ask, you know, you're, you're a pro scout. You're on the, you're on the pro yes. side now. You have a background on the college side, but yes. you're on the pro side now. So I guess, can you give us a little background just on, first, what a scout's role is like for the Lions here? Yeah. And then also, coming out from the pro side now for yourself, what is your your specific role maybe in the, in the evaluation process? Yeah, so when we're talking like the Blasto Scout or the you know the entry level Scout, the area Scout, our scouting assistants, the, you know the, the core kind of functions of the event when it comes to you know informal interviews, where that's that's kind of a you know, almost like an open ended format where you know scouting assistants are are heavily involved in helping. Our coaches are the ones that kind of conduct the interviews here. Some teams u- utilize their scouts to kind of conduct interviews here. The scouts have been on the Do you road. sit on, inter- on interviews? I, I, I don't sit in on, so I kind of help the functions of both formal and informal. So I'm not in the formal room. I was at different parts of my career. I was in there like typing notes, like as a stenographer, literally like <laughs> blow by blow. And then in yeah. the informal, helping to, to kind of like, basically all 32 teams at the same time, trying to help their coaches, let's yeah. say, you know, now it's 45 formal interviews. It used to be 60, right? So it's like all the other players that are here still wanted to spend time with them. And it's just, it's, it's a it's big club lounge at Lucas Oil Stadium. It used to be yeah. what we call Grand Hall, the old trade station that, that's attached to the Crown Plaza, which is the players on top of here. That used, that basically, like, it's just this, like, all the players are in there, all the coaches are in there, they're trying to do it as orderly as possible, <laughs> you know, like get somebody that might be talking to another team and bring them over. Uh, our scouting assistants heavily involved with that. Some teams utilize their pro scouts for that, or maybe their area scouts for that, or maybe the pro scouts or area scouts are you know, doing the interviews down in that kind of informal area. The formal area is where you have kind of your heavy hitters, you know, your GM, your head coach, your, your executive, your coordinator, uh, Oftentimes your position coach and every team does it differently. So I've, you know, over 12 years, I've been in very small rooms with like, two or three people interviewing yeah. and I've been in rooms where it was like where you just literally all jammed in there and there's like 20 people trying to like crane over and listen to what's going on so you know definitely a potential fire code violation uh, so so that's where I've seen a few of those yes. in this town you cram like you know 5,000 NFL people into downtown Indianapolis you can't you can't throw a rock out hitting somebody who belonged to somebody in the NFL well and it's kind of like especially for these formal interviews right where they tend to be again they tend to be with some of the more high profile players again scouts that have been invested in the process executives that want to you know to, to be involved in some form or fashion just to again to like these are players that are projected to be impact players you know like likely at the NFL level clearly your GM your head coach your coordinator position so there's all these people who are would be interested in being in the room. So if you don't restrict access, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I want to listen to it. You know, it's a closed door type format for the formal interviews, whereas the informal interview is like, it's like a job fair, right? It's just, mm-hmm. It just seemed like there's just all these people, you know, because again, you have what you would call the, the runners, the scouting assistants, or the staff helping out, and then the coaches that are sitting down, or the scouts are sitting down with the players, and then obviously all the rest of the players who aren't in formal interviews. So yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's like that doesn't sound like a huge portion of the process, but like that takes up a good chunk of your morning or your evening. And then the players are busy with other, you know, combine related things where it's like, again, at the end of the day, the teams are trying to acquire all this information that includes medical information, a comprehensive medical exam, which is really the the primary primary right, reason right. why we, you know, kind of you know, formed the combine in the first place. So yeah, I do feel like that's a big misnomer. Yeah. Maybe the fans have, you know, because they're sitting at home and they want to see the 40 yard dash. They want to see these kind of drills and they're exciting and it's easy to understand it's like you know the nfl is trying to put it in prime time because it gets such good tv numbers 
But from a team perspective, you talk to anyone in the league, and I think especially in Detroit, it's most like this week is most useful for the medical checks, getting your own doctors with their own hands on these guys and making sure everything checks out, and the team meetings, right? Yeah. The, the player meetings, and yeah. having your, your chance to get your own staff talking to these guys for the, oh, largely for the first time yep. in the process. Yeah, and it's not to devalue the workouts at large, right? But yes, the the medical component, the ability to get face-to-face and get personal time with these prospects would be kind of your two primary objectives or just, just again, what would draw you here, right? Because, you know, as far as just player workouts go, we do have pro days, right, like you know, after the fact. And let's not get lost in the fact that we're, you know, evaluating football players, right? So, right. you know, we've evaluated them, you know, throughout their college careers. And then if they participate in an all-star game, like those exposures in terms of just pure football ability and, and you know, their skill set, you know, on the field, are probably more, are definitely more apples to apples than you come here and you're mm-hmm. looking more at, you know, functional movement and coordination and skill set. Yeah. And really for some players, it's like, hey, you know, like, you know, it's, 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 it's a chance to evaluate everybody or at least all those that participate in one location. So I think that, you know, initially, and I'm not, I won't get into a history lesson here, I tend to be <laughs> long-winded anyway, and that will just take I was warned. I was warned that you make it There you go. That's fair. I, I'm glad you were warned. Yeah. So well, we can, it is a podcast, so yeah. feel free to <laughs> be open-ended. Yeah, yeah. Okay, hey, you know, I'll have at it. So really, again, you know, the, there used to be in the, let's say, the, the 70s and early 80s, you had multiple different combines, right, where the players right. were being asked to go from, and it was combinations of teams, consortiums of teams, where it was like, hey, these five or six teams were in a combine, and then these six or seven. So to come to Indy where, you know, what they realized is, hey, some of them did medical evals, some of them didn't. To do it here, we have the proximity to all the medical facilities where you have a stadium that's outfitted to basically bring in mobile MRI trucks and do anything that you need to do to, to kind of conduct those tests. Um, that's where obviously the initial intent of the event came like, hey, let's get all this medical evaluation and the physicals done here. And then it's like, well, we're all here, right? You know, we, like, what, how, how else can we best use this time to kind of familiarize ourselves with these prospects and get to know them? Well, I mean, there's, then there's, the, the, that's the interviews came about. And obviously like, Hey, these combines were all used to running essentially workouts and pro days. So at the end of the event, we'll do the, do the, the, the workout. And that's kind of how this all came together. And then along the way, it was like once, you know, it became more of a, you know, a formal process. And once yeah. the league was more involved, just with like, hey, there are a lot of objectives we'd also like to accomplish while everybody's here. The convenience of being yeah. here in one location yeah. and getting all that stuff done is, I mean, it's, it's unlike any other type of right. you know, time of the year. So. This process has become so big yeah. and so important to the whole draft process at large. You know, you have now many players get hooked up with agents and other reps who polish them up for this process, right? Yep. They, I think players are more coached than ever on, on how to handle these interviews. They get many of the questions that you want to ask them before you ask it to them, and so they get a chance to polish up, which is good for the player, but maybe it's hard for teams or mm-hmm. more difficult for teams to get to the center of what a player is about, and you're nodding your head. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess, what strategies have you found successful in, in cutting through maybe some of the BS that, the, that you hear from players nowadays? Yeah, I think I think really it's more of a step back and say, yeah, this this the combine is important, but it is one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. I got in inside the den last year. I literally said the same thing. I repeat <laughs> myself, but it is so. You, you never want to your scouts that have been on the road at the schools that have contacts that where you again they're. Not only doing evaluations of players and how you know how they would project the NFL as players, but it's also just the you know, hey, what have they been like? What's been their history? Not just you know in the season leading up to their the draft, their draft year, but like 
throughout their career in college. So you kind of have this unofficial dossier, if you will, even coming into this event, right? And then, you know, again, and then you're evaluating these guys as we get closer. It's obviously like, it, you know, this is an opportunity for, you know, these players to, whether it's in the informal or formal setting, you know, to, to connect. It's no different from when you're interviewing somebody and you realize pretty quickly either they're guarded or they're not giving you, like, just kind of being forthright with information and, or they're just boring and you're just like, okay, let's just find a way to kind of move this along and find a different way, a different angle. I do think, you know, one of the strategies that as far as just kind of saying, hey, as opposed to, like, just tell me everything about your A to Z. And again, players do, do prepare for both the personal related mm-hmm. questions and then also the football intelligence related questions where, hey, we want to have an idea of, you know, what your scheme was like in college, what you were asked to do, you know, what was your process for, for, for learning? And, and, you know, again, you know, did, did you know, for, for the NFL, the difference between college and the NFL is on a weekly basis, you know, the, the game plan changing and being game plan specific, it's just more intense than it is in college. Let's say that colleges don't put in place for opponents from week to week, but again, our resources are, and, and just the capacity to do that is greater at our level than it is at their level. So just trying to, again, whether it's with your coaches or scouts and, uh, just, just to trying to assess that, and mm-hmm. yes, the players prepare for not just getting up on the board, you know, <laughs> or talking through their their scheme. But you know, they can't prepare for every possible play you could throw at them. Sometimes, you know, you use maybe it's something that like the team did, like the team like shows one of their plays and then tries to install that play, and it's like, hey, the retention in that format. And even then, it's like, okay, here's how they did it in this particular portion, right? Yeah. But it's a not just a year long, but in some cases a two and three year long process of acquiring information on players and trying to get familiar with them. I don't know that there's ever a perfect way to get to the core of like who a person is, <laughs> right? To know everything yeah. about them. But I would say teams just in general are exhaustive and thorough to try and get there. So. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's your place to answer this question, so feel free to shoot it down. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, uh, I uh, no shoot away. Yeah, no, I was just curious, Joe, can you think of a player that, that you guys drafted that particularly impressed you during interviews here in Indy? Huh. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Just because, like you said, it's not that you don't necessarily want to like highlight one player or another, yeah. like good or bad. It's just that like, you know, a lot of times to your point, they are kind of rehearsed or they do kind of, they are on their best behavior. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, again, going back to my college scouting days, and again, it's a player that we used to play here and, doesn't anymore, but I, I when I remember when Quandre Diggs was coming out, yeah. I was a college area scout in Texas. You know, we I had opportunity just to be around at the Senior Bowl, the Combine, et yeah. cetera, and just that's one player that stands out. And it, from an authenticity standpoint, yeah, I, I just remember again everything that everything everybody had said about him. Just that's an example of like a player again dating myself here in terms of like being on the college side. I do feel like you know if you're talking about a player that you've never had any sort of experience with before that's your only exposure it's hard to know like actually yeah but at multiple steps of the process i can't remember if we brought in for a 30 visit but i feel like we did at some point and just so impressed with like maturity intelligence and then as a scout when you observed not just the way that the coaches talk again it's not just what they say but how they say it mm-hmm. but then it's also like that player's teammates and the players around it there's a certain aura or like respect level you can see or you can observe you can notice and again trying not to project and you know just see things that aren't there but as a scout your intuition's critical so i think like that's an example of a player that and again i would feel comfortable like talking about him because i'm mean, not just because he's you know now he's moved on to play for another team but because I had multiple exposures sure. where I was impressed where it's like, hey, this isn't just a one-time thing. Yeah. 
I remember talking to Quandre, you know, they, all these players do teleconferences with reporters right after they're drafted. So we're talking to him like five or 10 minutes afterward. And I remember being also very impressed by, like he just sounded like an old man, even at whatever he was, 22 or something. Yeah. And he, he like, I remember he said something about like, you know, don't worry about the 40, don't worry about the size, the, the speed, whatever, like yeah. I can play ball. Yeah. And the way he said it, yeah. and the, like the quiet confidence with which he said it, it's like, okay, this guy, this guy's got something. You know, you and can just tell he believed in himself in a way that seemed very authentic. Yeah, I think to, to, to your point, like you just, like, you get how they said it, right? Like it's, you can rehearse, rehearse, and rehearse all you want to in terms of like what you're saying and saying all the right things and, you know, hitting on kind of, key points and buzzwords and you know just to try and sound yeah. smart or sound like you need you kind of have a grasp of everything but ultimately the more time you spend around somebody the more it's like the more opportunities they have to, to kind of show variance would be different and so that's where again not to necessarily deflect the question from like here specifically but that's a one time yeah. whether it's you know, the, the formal interviews are 18 minutes now it used to be 15 minutes so it's like i would hate to be like on 15 or 18 minutes like i know who you are sure but sure. if I've been around you multiple times, I would feel more comfortable and you're never going to feel 100% certain, but the, the comfort level would go up in that case. So. Yeah. You guys put such a, a great deal of emphasis under Brad, under Brad Holmes on intangibles. I know that's a part of your, your process. You're tr attempting to quantify it in a way that maybe it's, I mean, by definition, intangible thing is not quantifiable in a way that a bench press is or a 40 or whatever but you're trying to quantify it, how that would fit into what you have. What can you share on that process and how you go about understanding, you know, a player's intangibles, how you, how you quantify Yeah, and I'll be, to preface it with being on the pro side now, more yeah. extensively than the college side, I'm less privy to like how we would specifically do it. But I think I can answer the question, you know, kind of generally enough to where, like from my previous experience on the college side, you know, because again, I, th I think, you know, regardless, and you know, I've worked for, for three different GMs, essentially three different systems, right? And, you know, there's guys have worked for other teams, you know, and, and, and had more exposures to how, how to do it differently. But I think ultimately, you know, the two biggest things when it comes down to, and, and it really, it's not just the individual scout per se, it's literally a complete, I mean, again, like for instance, like I'll say the two things, and then I'll explain myself, you know, it's really, passion for the game and obviously passion for pursuing this as a career and kind of the whether you call it football character or just it's just the the player's commitment to being the best player that they can be because and again this is a game where there's injuries it's a competitive like you know again it's not just you know from game to game or competing to make the roster and guys get caught and bounce back and, and out of the league and then work out with a bunch of teams and come back. You hear stories all the time about guys that are kind of overcoming adversity, right? And it's hard to really assess that in a short forum. Yeah. But again, passion for the game, a player's just kind of like their football character, their commitment to being the best player they can be. And then ultimately, the other aspect would be football intelligence, where, again, this is not book smart. This is not, you know, yes, you hear about like a player taking the Wonderlic test and you know, the, again, we could, whether or not it's valid or not, is probably, you know, that's a, that's a whole different conversation. And I don't know if I'm, you know, qualified to, to be the one to, you know, represent the, the team of the league in, in that sort of yeah. matter. But it's not necessarily from a testing standpoint. It's not necessarily even from a, a short exposure. That's where, again, you go back to, you know, the scout who's been through the school, and then you rely on your coaching staff, and I mean, teams do it differently, but you rely on somebody that, again, has an expertise in being able to assess, like, the ability, like, does the player have a process for learning? Does it come naturally? Is it something they have to work at? Is it saying, and what's their learning style, right? Are they somebody that can, you know, like, take it from the board to the field? And our level, we do, you know, it's, it's not just a, in the classroom, but there's, there's mm -hmm. we have time 
to do all sorts of walkthroughs, you know, not just pre-practice, but in practice, all sorts of different meeting styles. And it's not just, you know, the big group, but then the smaller groups and the one-on-ones. What's their best way? Do they have a process, right? You know, again, it's particularly important at, at certain positions, quarterback being one, you know. Sure. But then, again, at our level, like I mentioned before, you're potentially changing things from, from week to week in terms of your gameplay. But then also their ability to, you know, to react in-game, you know, when the picture changes, when the offense or defense does something differently than what you practice or what you expected, are you able to react? So it's not just a, an academic thing. It's their ability to go out in the field. You hear about, again, football intelligence, like instincts is certainly a part of that. Because it's like, hey, I may have been in the wrong spot, but I figured it out and got to the right spot. Or, you know, I saw the play happen before it did. So those two things, I think every team is trying to assess however they structure their process and whoever yeah. they involve. Those are the two core tenets. And then, on, yeah. you know, and then after that, it's, it's subjective from team to team as far as what they value and what's important. For yeah. us, we're always going to, Brad says, has said it multiple times, so I'm just repeatedly saying it again, we're, you know, you want, you're looking for football players, right? Yeah. And again, yeah. it's like, okay, we well, have no shit. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's also, so that, yeah, that was my follow-up, Joe, is what you guys are looking for, guys who love football, who understand football. There's probably 32 NFL teams on the planet that are looking for the same things, yeah. but the techniques in that evaluation process differ. Yes. I'm curious, and maybe you can't divulge the secret sauce here, yeah. but what is different maybe about the techniques with you guys in, in terms of trying to find guys, because you, you've had a lot of success too. Yeah. Guys like Panay Sewell, I mean, maybe he was, everyone loved Panay coming out of the sure. draft, but a guy like Amon Rossi Brown, yep. who falls to day three, obviously a lot of teams had multiple opportunities to get him and they didn't. Yep. And I know, I know he was like, basically 1A on your list going into day three. Yep. And now we can all see why, but there's a lot of teams that didn't see that necessarily. Yep. So what are the techniques that you guys employed maybe to find the guys like, okay, this is a guy who fits what we want to be about? Yeah, I think, again, without getting too lost in the sauce, I would be yeah. able to answer it a lot more accurately you know, in my previous roles in the right. college side. But, um, you know, a, a couple kind of core tenets. One, I, I think what's been effective for us, we involve our coaches. Different teams kind of have different philosophies, you know, where it's like, I don't call it old school, but there is a faction where it's like, hey, you know, it's scout, scout, and the coach is coach. And one, it frees, you know, in, the, in those types of teams, and not to get into which teams they are, but like, hmm. I don't, we're, we're not one of them, I can say that. But it's, again, on the one hand, it frees up coaches in the spring to, to do an audit of, you know, what they did schematically the year before. And it gives them more time to kind of work on evolving your offense or defense, or your schemes for the next year. But ultimately, those teams decide, hey, we want to rely on, rely on the scouts. And then, you know, you get to the draft, you acquire these new players, and then you kind of pass them off, right? And the coaches don't necessarily have as much input. That is not us. Our coaches are involved, especially with assessing the player's ability to learn. Again, that football intelligence input because like they're teachers, they deal with the subject matter every day, and they have our players in there, and they're able to you know to meet with these players and, and say, hey, who does he remind me of? Who's he like? Who's he not like? Does his learning style or just does his you know his breadth of knowledge like would that be effective in my room or is that is it above or below like the standards that they would have for their room? Anybody else doing that is projecting. They're the ones that be able to actually say, hey, like affirmatively, yes or no. So, yes, I'd say, you know, one, certainly the involvement of coaches. And then, two, I'd say one of the things that's evolved, certainly in my time with the Lions, but just across the league, you know, the usage of analytics and, and just player performance data and historical comparisons. We factor everything in. And I know that because we, we do it on the pro side. And certainly, right, as someone where it's like, again, just the ability to, like, 
all of the information and all of the research and relying on we have a, a really good football information analytics team that's able to provide it again the objective data whereas our evaluations are subjective and they're you know and they're refined and like it's what we do so it's like anybody that does something over and over and over again should naturally become better at it but to kind of combine those two things but then ultimately i think that our process and, and brad and dan are ultimately their decision makers it's not let me put it this way i've seen different levels of it as far as like the just the your decision makers actually watching tape, like actually like, you know, as opposed <laughs> to like relying on their lieutenants. Yeah. Brandon yeah. didn't do that as much as any mm-hmm. group that I've been around. And not to say that, you know, sure. I was here with Bob and Matt, and they certainly yeah. did that too, you know, with Martin and Coach Caldwell mm-hmm. and Jim Schwartz. Like, it's not to say that, but like the extent to which they do that, mm-hmm. I certainly, I think for me and my perspective is, is higher than, yeah. than it's ever been. So. We'll get a little short on, on time. You're a yep. busy guy here in, in Indy, but you do lead me directly into a space I did want to ask you about, which is you've been around for so long. You've spanned so many different regimes, going back to the Martin Mayhew years, obviously Bob Quinn and now you know, Brad Holmes, several head coaches along the way. Yep. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, like you, you're obviously having a lot of success these days. Fans really fixate on the draft, and I think the results speak for themselves the past two years with guys like Panay and Amon Ra. Then last year with, I mean, just a whole flood of, guys yeah <laughs> Malcolm Rodriguez on, on day three James Houston on day three on up to the obviously the the day one picks right yeah. but even on the pro side you guys have had a lot of success with Jamal Williams is a, a major team leader that you guys got yeah. a backup running back elsewhere you bring him in he becomes a fixture for you guys in two years John Kaminsky played so well last year waiver claim Josh Reynolds waiver claim I mean there's been a lot of scouting successes that has helped accelerate the rebuild to where it is now so I, I guess with everyone getting very curious about this scouting process and how much success there has been lately, yeah. as a guy who's been around for a really long time, Joe, what do you see as the biggest differences with how the scouting process works now with Brad Holmes and with Dan Campbell? Yeah, I mean, it's just a one, obviously, the involvement of our coaches. And I'll say this, and you, you highlighted, you know, what Jamal and, and John and Josh. I, I always, especially when I was on the college side, I know it's like, yeah, still around. We all take, speaking kind of generally as a college guy or post guy, we all take pride when we have an evaluation and we, we likes a player and that player ends up being a productive player. I always deflect the credit to the player and not only to the player, to our support staff and our coaching staff, but ultimately like these, the three guys that you mentioned that all took advantage of their situation to kind of prove that like, Hey, like you give me more of an extensive opportunity and I'm going to show you, you know, that like I'm the quality of player that like you may not have thought before they came to our team. So I always give credit, I mean, first and foremost, to the players, you know, and then obviously to the to, to the sports staff and the coaches that actually like, are involved in the development. I think sometimes the scouts, you know, we're, we're researchers, we're analysts, so we're asked to kind of do the whole pool, right? And then the players get in our building, we don't necessarily have a lot of, of, of direct touch points with them. You know, they're the ones that, you know, are the ones putting in the work and kind of saying, hey, like, again, they got the opportunity to come here. And I think the one intangible thing that I think we talked about and people I you know, speculate about that I can hopefully kind of confirm people can feel is, I could say like every team has a culture, but this culture has been one where it's been, hey, you know, guys, you come to our team, it's a it's a group of guys that all kind of have the same sort of and maybe it's just because you like brought in a ton of new players and rookies and kind of rebuilt it from, you know, from the ground up. But there's a group of guys, there's a coaching staff, there's an organization that has is probably more united in terms of the culture. And that starts with Brad and with Dan. And so you know, I think that's one of the things that's funny, like some of the players we brought in, especially on the pro side, they come in and they, hey, they can feel that where it's like, hey, like I'm being supported as a player and as a person and we're trying to get the best version of you out of you. And again, all that sounds kumbaya. If you're not winning on the field, nobody cares. Um, it's got to be good for a scout though, right? right? 
It does. No, the man no. in between, like trying to match player with team to have a yeah. culture yes. that people actually want to play for. Yes. And I think, you know, again, that, and that's where I would be reticent to take any kind of credit for that because, you know, yeah. I'm usually sitting in my office all day watching <laughs> tape or, you know, maybe standing out of practice, but it's like they're the ones that are kind of doing all the work, right? And, and our part, portion of the process is, is to provide kind of our analysis, our research to the decision makers, kind of let them decide what they want to, want to do. Yeah, there are players I like. There are players I may not like as much. Whether we acquire one of those players I like or don't like, I've done my part, mm-hmm. right? So I never get personally invested one way or the other because ultimately when they step in our building, like I want them to be the best version of themselves. I say that. I think that's where in these last two years, one a lot of guys that we acquired as kind of free agents on one-year deals and brought back, you know, those are guys that those are tone setters for us. Those are guys who have kind of taken advantage of a fresh start of a new opportunity and kind of taken off and run with it. The rookies that we brought in, it's all they ever, this is the first place that they've known. And so again, just the, what Dan and, and Brad have done to kind of facilitate that, not just from the way that they've kind of conducted themselves, but a lot like the building has kind of slowly bought into that. And then really what it comes down to, yes, we, we finally have had, you know, especially the second half of the season, this season, some success to validate that. Right. And that's amplified that. So, you know, hopefully it's something we can say, hopefully, I mean, every team this time of year is, you know, playoffs where you know Super Bowl I mean you have to think that way you know it's it's a highly competitive industry you have 32 mm-hmm. teams that basically all want the same thing but certainly again what we did to kind of close out last year you know we're hoping to to be able to sustain and and a big part of that just to kind of put a bow on that question whether it's players that we draft or acquire via free agency or sign you know various times of the year is you know when they come into our building hopefully they kind of they feel that we're a culture that wants you know, them to be the best version of themselves. Got one last question for yeah. you, Joe, and then uh, we'll get you out of here. We talked a lot about how much the combine matters to you guys in terms of the interviews and the medicals, that maybe the drills matter less for teams versus, you know, the fans sitting at home yeah. or even reporters. I mean, I love watching the 40s, but sure. I, I know like a bench press is not going to necessarily correlate to success on the field at the same time. But as the drills do gear up here later yeah. in the week, I, I am curious are there drills that do matter to you more than others? And maybe it's position specific. So yeah. maybe a good follow-up to that would be what positions here do the drills really matter to you guys in the evaluation process? Yeah, I would say, again, without necessarily saying, okay, like any particular drill carries any more weight than the other. You know, I, I think it, again, certainly like the physical testing allows for, for historical comparisons, right? Where the on-field work is actually a display of that player's just skill level, right? And again, they're not wearing pads, so you, you know you, you take everything with a grain of salt. But it's, I'd say, I mean, again, trying to give a specific example of, of a drill where it's like, oh, this necessarily reveals something more than, than something else. But it's more confirming, right? It's confirming what you already thought. Everything, about. you know, whether it's the physical testing, and I think, and, and certainly the on-field portion. You know, I'd say like with the physical testing, for example, right? You watch a player on tape, and you know, one of the things you know, when I first start off as a Blesto scout, you know, you estimate a player's play speed, right? And you do that in the form of a forty. So oh, I think this wide receiver, well, you know, he plays at four five zero or four five five, whatever it is, right? Yeah. You're just equating to, and again, when you're first starting out, your frame of reference is like, you know, you're, you're almost more or less guessing, right? Then over time, you kind of are able to kind of see, okay, this player ran. I thought this player played this this speed, and then he ran this, right? And so I really, with any sort of physical tests, any sort of on-field drill, it's like I have a general idea of what I think this player is going to do. If they kind of perform at that level, I've confirmed that. If they haven't, then it maybe for, for me as an evaluator, it, re- it would require me to kind of just go back and just to review, just to make sure. I mean, there's some guys who just test faster than they play. 
Yeah. Some players, vice versa, right? And there's some players that don't have like a bench press, right? Yeah, they don't have the, the endurance to, you know. But on the field, they're explosive and powerful, and you know they have yeah. heavy hands and knock players back. So, is there a Lions example you can think of that, that supports what you're saying? Maybe, maybe the watch isn't quite as fast, but they just played fast on the tape, and you guys loved them anyway. Well, I mean, again, it, I think it's fairly evident. I mean, something like Amon Ra, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know. Regardless of what the physical testing was, yeah. I was like, this guy is, you know, everything you want in a, in a football player, and he's been even more. So I think that's an example of, like, the reason why Amon Ra is in the fourth round. It might have been because of the physical testing, just from from other teams' standpoint, but, like, man, are we glad that ended up working out for us. I think it's where, like, if you talk to Amon Ra, I'm sure like, <laughs> he didn't want to go in the fourth round, clearly, you know. But, but at the same time, th- that physical testing, you know, for whatever reason, just the kind of maybe a combination of things, things that I wouldn't be necessarily be aware of. Again, using him as an example, just because he's obviously yeah. been, you know, you know, again, just a, he's a pick a play. Exactly. <laughs> I like to think that this is like a case by case type basis. And yes, all these these portions of you know, whether it's the medical portion here, or the on field, or the whatever it is, they all play different. In the players' tape, obviously, is you know the, the most most important piece of the puzzle at the end of the day. But I think it's where like this is just another step where. You have an evaluation, you have an idea of, you know, how good you think a player is or how you think you can perform in like a certain aspect of this. And then if they don't live up to that expectation or if they exceed it, right, that would just, okay, hey, let me just make sure, you know, that I feel confident in what he's showing me on tape. And, you know, is there anything that he showed more or less that he showed me here that would cause me to at least reevaluate, never just absolutely saying, oh, no, I'm changing my opinion or I'm changing my evaluation. It's more about just saying, hey, do I need to go back and do more work or am I, do I feel good about like where I thought this player was, you know, yeah. again, and then you do the same thing with the pro day, you know, and then obviously we're in the, right. the draft season. Right. So. Joe Kelleher is a longtime Lions scout, been with the team since 2011 yeah. in a variety of capacities, including on the college side. These days, he's the assistant director of pro scouting. Joe, thank you for, for lending us your insights. This was good stuff. Yeah, you know, you're welcome. And, and hopefully uh, somebody got something out of this. <laughs> well, I know I did. So <laughs> thanks, Joe. Yeah, of course, you got it. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again. Thanks again.